0: All right, welcome into the latest edition of The Growler. Paul Eder Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. Very busy times. Whirlwind of activity. Bengals make a trade. Titans are on deck. Derrick Henry is ready to pl- to stick someone in the turf. Meanwhile, Carlos Dunlap and his dad are <laughs> ready to throw all the Bengals under the bus. Exciting times. How are we doing, Jay? Doing well. Well, One step closer to the buy. One step closer to the buy and a lot less to worry about when it comes to the trade deadline on Tuesday. So uh, there is a lot of good things happening here. We need to dive right. We have a a lot to get to. Two big chunks to get to today. We're going to open with all the Carlos Dunlap trade to Seattle stuff, um, of which there is a lot. Um, the Bengals, of course, traded Carlos Dunlap to the Seattle Seahawks for center interior lineman, essentially B.J. Finney, uh, who is spent his first four seasons, is an undrafted guy to Kansas State first four seasons with the Steelers, then was signed to a free agent deal with the Seahawks, never really kind of gotten to their plans. They deal him for Dunlap and a seventh round pick come to the comes to the Bengals. Um, Quentin Spain from the Bills is here going through COVID protocols. I think we might have talked about that uh earlier in the week i'm not sure uh either way he's expectations are that he will sign on friday but he's gotta you gotta go through like six days of covid tests now before you can get in the building and it's a whole thing uh but anyway expectations are that he would be in the facility on friday probably an announcement coming then assuming everything goes well with covid testing uh he would be available for sunday um But I don't think he would play because he just got in the building on Friday. Uh, But he would be there probably in a case of an emergency, then by week, and then maybe you have a better chance of seeing these guys. Anyway, that is the kind of personnel things that happened. Um, But we got to start with Carlos Dunlap and get into that trade. Of course, we will talk Titans and everything else here uh, in a a little bit. Um, Okay. Carlos Dunlap is dealt to Seattle. What was your – did you have an did you have a you remember your initial takeaway upon hearing it?
1: Um I thought that we were going to see a different Carlos Dunlap in the second half. It just it, I wondered they, they had two choices, trade him or cut him. If you cut him, he's got his choice to go somewhere. I wondered if you know, obviously they're going to get take the best deal they can get, but I wondered if they would send him somewhere where it, it wouldn't be an ideal situation for him, you know, kind of a, <laughs> a little bit of a punitive thing. Um, so I, I was a little surprised to see it was Seattle, but then again, not surprised. They're an NFC team. They just played them last year. They will never have to, you wouldn't assume face Carlos Dunlap again. The next time the Bengals play the Seahawks is in 2023. Um, who knows if Carlos is still playing at that time, but I think it's, I, I didn't think they got as much as they, they possibly could have for him, but you, when they they you wake up that morning and they've told him to stay home from practice and they 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 make the trade that quickly, um, it it was kind of just get what you can get, get the guy out of the building, get him, get the whole situation behind you. Um, But I do. I think this is going to be great for Carlos. I think we're going to see what we saw last year and that he had seven or he had eight of his nine sacks in the last seven games last year. For whatever reason, he turned that switch on. We know the reason why he's going to turn the switch on this year. And Seattle is a a really good team. They desperately need a pass rusher. He's going to get all the snaps he wants out there. And I do. I think he's going to have a big year, big second
0: half. It's a great deal for Seattle, and man, the Seahawks just feast yes. off of disenchanted guys coming there and loving the atmosphere in the building. There, it has happened for a number of years. They've taken these types of guys on, and they have thrived. Uh, I guess Jamal Adams would be the latest. You know, I mean, he was disenchanted with the Jets, and he's there now. But it, I, I, I mean, I agree. I, I think Carlos is going to have. A great run in Seattle. I also think the Bengals made the the right decision for them right now. Um, I d- I just think you take he's a great fit for this the Seahawks scheme. He also realizes look he he's this, I mean <laughs> I guess there's a chance more than almost certainly the Seahawks are not taking on that eleven million dollars next year. Okay, mm-hmm. they they don't want that twenty twenty one contract. Nobody wants that twenty twenty one contract. The good news for them is they don't have to take it. The Bengals take on the dead cap hit, and Seattle just walks away scot-free next year. Uh, so Carlos is in a contract here as well. So you throw a contract season where he his reputation is uh, on the line for everything he's been in, for one more contract, whatever he's going to get is going to be based on what he does these next nine games in Seattle. He knows that. You know He's got his fresh start. He's got to impress people. Who are all looking at him to come in and help save the day, which you know, which means you take away the problem with Carlos Dunlap, and that is the effort thing. It's the try hard thing. You know, you're gonna get, you're gonna get the best of him, and I, and and then if you start getting into near postseason stuff, same thing. You're gonna start to get the best of Carlos Dunlap, whatever he has left in in that tank. I do think Seattle is going to get the best of it, and I think it's a great deal for them and an easy deal for them. Um, that said, I think this is also a great deal for the Bengals because it just—it's ha- an addition by subtraction. It had to happen. You, you know, they just have—they have much different needs and issues. The, the Seahawks can't rush the passer. Uh, the Bengals want people to want to be here. they <laughs> are kind of okay. dealing with different levels of team building right now, uh, <laughs> so. They just they, – they, this had this had to happen. You know, we've talked about – I mean, how long have we been talking about this now? Um, for a while. This needed to happen. I'm st- I still am surprised when it does. I still am surprised when it does. You know, I think there were a lot of people in the building that were preparing themselves for having to deal with Carlos Dunlap the rest of this season. They were because, look this is the second in season Bengals trade since 1985 Carson threatening to retire, sitting at home was the only other one. So, you know, there's still an element of surprise when it actually does happen. So I was a little surprised. And then my thought was, I think Carlos is going to play really well in Seattle. Um, the other side of this, I think to go, I want to make sure we cover up the salary cap ramifications of this. Um, for those that care about such things but you know when you get into trades and deals and swaps and money it's well what does that look like because that's an element of this deal too uh the Bengals take on 6.3 million in dead cap this year which you know sunk cost at this point you get that's what you paid for half a season of Carlos Dunlap it gets them 4.8 million in dead salary cap savings this year. That's what the Seahawks take on. So the Seahawks eat all that 4.8. So you get 4.8 back. You knew you were cutting them next year anyway. So that was going to be your $11.25 million savings on the 2021 cap. You still have to eat 2.25 2.25 in dead cap money, but you were going to have to do that regardless. That was already set. You knew you were going to let go of him after the year. So it was already set that next year you were going to save 11.25 and have to eat 2.25 in dead cap next year. What the trade does is it frees up almost $5 million for you this year. But you do get BJ Finney in the deal to help offset some of that. You take on 1.47 of him. So 3.3 is your. Net savings essentially for this year in the deal, and then obviously you get the player. Bengals have a team option for next year on BJ Finney at four point three seven million. I call it a team option; it basically is. It's non guaranteed contract set at that number. So um, they'll have to if he plays and plays well, and they think he's going to be the starter for them, they would pay him. Otherwise, BJ Finney is just sort of a guy they bought for offensive line help the rest of this season.
2: You know, um,
1: I was gonna go say, ahead, if you 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 take take the money out of it, take the stats out of it, take all that out of it, maybe one of the the most important takeaways of the whole trade is, I mean, Zach Taylor just got his fourth win. This is you you don't Mike Brown doesn't like to trade these guys, and the fact that, that the coaching staff was able to convince them that this needed to be done, um, it it just i think that carries a lot of weight in that locker room i don't know how close the the players pay attention to that kind of thing but but they know there's there's a warring faction going on and they see which side won and yes getting carlos out i I, we talked about this where we thought i thought the players were mostly on zach taylor's side on this thing anyhow because they they watch the tape they see carlos isn't giving effort they they see what he's doing on social media but still, if they let this linger and they keep losing games, maybe some thoughts flip the other way, and maybe Carlos does win some guys over to his side, and this this locker room truly does fracture. I getting rid of him, I think, is a big win for this franchise, not because Carlos couldn't couldn't do it anymore, but just because of all those things I just said that that this this fully proves that the, this the organization is behind Zach Taylor and. It was I mean that it was an important kind of a standoff. Mike Mike Brown and Carlos Dunlap players rarely win those standoffs and the 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 fact that, that this coaching staff convinced the front office to make this move, I think, throws a lot of sway toward this coaching staff that that needs some of it
0: right now. I, I completely agree. Here's another interesting thing with Carlos. And, um, I, you know, I think if, if, you know, unfortunately, we spent too much time perusing his Instagram videos. <laughs> I liked it when it was just him riding his bike to practice. Uh, instead, he's driving around Paul Brown Stadium to go in to finalize his deal. He's sitting in there, uh, you know, talking about how excited he is. And, and it's, it's all very surreal. But he mentioned this – I don't know if – I think he mentioned it in one of his videos or maybe in some sort of post of some sort that I've read through, unfortunately, in recent days is that, you know, he was one to talk to Mike a lot. And he would go to Mike's office. I mean, he would go up there quite a bit, actually, more so than probably – I don't know enough about the people that are – I don't have a counter on how who's walking into Mike's office most often. It might be as much as any player, you know, is, is Carlos not afraid to talk to Mike. There is a friendship there. There was a, 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 a genuine connection. So for Mike to do this, to to admit defeat, to send somebody off uh, is not something that he wanted to, to do. He did not want it to come to this at all. And I think it had to get to the point that it was at now for it to actually come to it because um, everyone in the room realize this is what had to happen whether they liked it or not and I think that's important to remember like (laughs) this is also something that Mike definitely didn't want to do for other reasons I mean so I I just yeah I agree with you Jay big time I mean I think that this is something that they needed to win for the sake of giving them a real chance you know it it, keeping Carlos around would be uh cutting your nose off to spite your face big you know in the in the purest sense And I mean, I I get he Carlos was
1: a likable guy. I know a lot of fans don't really get to talk to him and get to know him and they just see the antics. And I can see why it was a hard move for Mike, because if you sit there and talk to Carlos for any amount of time, he's he's funny. He's self-deprecating at times. and He's also ridiculously confident and braggadocio at times. Um, He's just an enjoyable guy to be around and if he is having those kind of conversations with mike that that just makes it all the harder for for mike mike's got this this loyalty gene to him um almost to a fault and and oh, yeah. that that those that relationship would just take it to a whole nother level um so yeah that's just you know, it's 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 good for the Bengals. It's good for Carlos. I am interested to see if Bengal fans maybe maybe it'll be a hate watch. Maybe it'll be just an interesting. But uh, Seattle's got two primetime games left, and they've got some. They've, they've got a lot of four o'clock games. Obviously, being on the the West Coast, the Bengals fans will be able to to watch Carlos play in Seattle for a, a number of his games that remain in the year.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's <laughs> I I have a ten. I don't know. I I hate when the ends. Happen. I mean, we saw this with Chad. You know, you see this with Corey. We've seen this with so many guys. Willie, um, and a lot of these guys have come back around. You know what I mean? Uh, I think inevitably, and, and the same has kind of happened with Wit. Um, you know, with I remember talking to Wit at the Super Bowl, and and he had all love for the Bengals and the organization, despite what happened. Willing to put this stuff happens. I mean, you 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 look at the end of so many great players here, and a lot of places, but we'll just use here, for example, um, these things end poorly and people get mad. Uh, <laughs> I heard about this last week at I mean How many players are you, you need me to name off? Uh, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, Joe Montana, like all the, the Jerry great, Rice. Jared, greatest players of all time and with kind of at odds with their team. Uh, And moving on, I mean, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, greatest thing you've ever seen in the history of this league. He's in Tampa right now. And there were years of writing about the rift between those two. And and it it happens. It's okay. It's what business is. You don't like it to get ugly. It does. But you go back through, you know, all those names I mentioned with the Bengals. I mean, a lot of these guys, it takes time. It heals. And eventually, (laughs) on the, the one weekend a year, the Bengals bring former players back. Uh, or whatever, maybe they'll build a Ring of Honor one day. But when they have been bring when they bring players back, these guys have been coming back. Corey's been back. Willie is like so back. He's so back. He's mad again, which I love.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's he's out there on social media, always just kind of like hey, has his own frustration because he's invested again. You know, I mean, all these it all comes it does come back around and it will with carlos and we will eventually no one will really t- i mean remember how ugly the end was with chad i mean yeah, well, he was suspended he was suspended they don't say home there was a back and forth of two or three years of real ugliness and now he's like face of the franchise
1: i mean it happens it, it's like it's like a divorce where it's ugly when it when you're sorting it out and then you know, cooler heads prevail. You realize there's a mutual interest there. There's, there's that thankfulness. Most of these guys that we're talking about, I think all of them we're talking about, were drafted by the Bengals and and players talk about that all the time, that they were the first team that believed in me. And that, that just, that holds legs for the rest of their career that, that, you know, that they, they thank them for giving them that, that shot that as they sit in retirement and start reflecting on things and looking around at all the nice things they have, uh, the Bengals are responsible for that.
0: TJ Houshman Zada, Another name I didn't mention. I mean, he's been back as a coach here. He's working with John Ross and talking those guys up. I mean, TJ went out here and, and then he talked about regretting leaving after he left, even a little bit. Um, but I mean, this 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 stuff. This is what happens. This is the way it goes. People get mad because the same reasons they always get mad at this team. They don't like the front office. They don't like you know the the stereotypes and and what they are sometimes. Um, and people are frustrated with losing as they should be. There's a lot of people at fault here, but this is stuff that happens. It happens everywhere. Um, And I think it's important to know that before too long, everyone will be back to appreciating uh, 82 and a half sacks and a lot of great moments that Carlos Dunlap put in here and a lot of great things he did. I mean, we should probably have opened the show talking about his anti-bullying campaign um, the work he did in the community for back to school, especially when Michael Johnson was here, the stuff they did, um, buying s- school supplies for kids like every single year. He was really invested in the community. He really cared here. Um, you know, I, I think it, Cincinnati, he was proud to be someone who played here and lived here and he talked it up and and it was really invested in vet literally invested in the community and that stuff matters. And, you know, um, It will be more his legacy here than any of the garbage that has happened, unfortunately, over the last however many weeks or months or
2: whatever. I'll take a quick break now to hear from a sponsor.
0: Let's flip forward uh, to what the Bengals got and what they have now coming in the building. And that is BJ Finney and... Quentin Spain uh, I mentioned the top of the episode what we know about where those are at Spain should be in the building on Friday uh, once he gets through his you know, six days of COVID testing you have to do now Finney similar concept uh, won't be able to play this weekend because just not enough time on the turnaround on the trade so he first would be available after the buy so they, the good news for those two guys who probably won't play this weekend in um, less case of emergency in the case of Spain is um, is they get an extra week two weeks to learn the playbook know what's going on get a feeling for everything and then we'll see if they end up in the lineup or what they the fit is how, what that all looks like um Before we do, let's do this. Jay, you talked to our guy in Buffalo, Matt Fairburn, uh, about Quentin Spain, who was a starter there for a number of years. And you talked to – we brought Mark Caboli back. I know you guys can't get enough of him. You can't get enough of Mark. Uh, But he is back because B.J. Finney spent his first four years, 15 through 19, with the Steelers playing pretty well there. Uh, So here's some insight from those two guys uh, on Quentin Spain And on BJ Finney.
1: Well, with uh, with Quentin, I mean, what what kind of what caused the split this year? It seemed like it was kind of a quick trigger.
3: Yeah. um, So they signed him last year to like a cheap, you know, one year deal. They brought in a bunch of guys on the offensive line and just let them all compete to to see who would win jobs. And he won the starting left guard job. uh, Played every snap. I believe you can double check that but I'm pretty sure he played every snap um including in that week 17 game uh didn't allow a sack and you know they brought him back on this 3 year deal that was kind of like a 1 year deal the way they structured it um you know like a 3 years 15 million but really only like five ish of it was guaranteed okay and the thought was that he'd come in and play left guard uh and really you know, when you kind of go through, like, the chain of events that happened, it would seem to lend itself even more to him playing. But, you know, John Feliciano, the right guard, got hurt. Um, he's just now getting back. And during training camp, they signed Brian Winters, who's also more of a right guard. And so what they ended up doing was they signed Daryl Williams, a right tackle. He beat out Cody Ford in training camp and Cody Ford, their 2019 second-round pick, they moved him into guard. Initially, they did right guard because Feliciano was hurt. Then they got Winters, so they kicked Ford over to left guard like three games into the season or whatever it was. And, you know, at that point, it was Ford, Winters uh, at the two guard spots. And the weird thing with the timing was that Cody Ford got hurt uh, like three days before they released Quentin Spain, but my understanding is that it got to the point where Quentin was upset when he got benched. Mm-hmm. So before the Titans game, you know, you can, I don't know, I guess ask him about this, but he complained of foot soreness probably three hours before the Titans game and got put on the injury report and was a scratch and then didn't dress. Same thing, you know, the foot soreness against kansas city and then that was when cody ford got hurt in the kansas city game hurt his knee he missed last week but they cut quentin spain two days later anyways and had to play like Bucker at left guard and he was a disaster so it was like they really could have used quentin but i guess he got um he really wasn't happy with the role um when he got benched and you know didn't want to be a guy that was coming off the bench so they um tried to trade him uh Presumably, uh, Brandon Bean never really cuts anybody without trying to trade him first, and you know, got to a point where it was like, well, right when they probably needed him the most, the situation had reached a point where it was untenable, so they just you know cut ties and gave him a chance to latch on somewhere else.
1: Um, What what kind of guard is he that that you saw?
4: he, He play he plays all three positions, center and guard. I think he was like eight and one or something, eight and two maybe is when he started in his years with the Steelers. So he's, he's not a physical specimen. Let me tell you that, but he's very technical. Um, He was actually pretty good. Uh, They wanted to bring him back, but uh, I think that Seahawks just offered him a crazy amount of money to be honest with you for a guy that's, no, 27 twenty seven, twenty eight and didn't play that much, but you know, very technical, multiple positions. I'm sure he is an upgrade over what the Bengals have.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, but he was a practice, he was an undrafted free agent. And um apparently he was a big Steelers fan growing up, but he didn't get to play much, but he was pretty good when he did um just trying to think of anything else here
1: yeah it looked like he like got a couple games here and there was he mainly like an injury fill in and then he would just yeah go... that's
4: basically it. he would he would be that swing interior guy on game days every day you know center guard mm-hmm. depending on who would get hurt but uh then he had to start some games for Pouncey he started the two games when Pouncy was suspended at, um just last year.
1: Oh, after the Garrison.
4: yeah, yeah, he played a lot at left guard. Like I said, he's not. You look at him; he looks like an upside down pear. Be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honest with you, but he's really technically sound, smart guy.
0: Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from uh, what they said, Jay? Uh,
1: the biggest one was with Matt talking about Quentin Spain. Um, you know, you look they. They brought him in last year on kind of a one-year prove-it deal. They brought in a lot of offensive linemen and just said, "Fight it out, see who wins." Um, he he played great. They gave him a, a long-term deal, and then they cut him after a couple games. And I was, it's was like, you know, what what went wrong there? And and Matt was talking about how they they just had all these weird dominoes fall where they had to start shuffling the offensive line around, and it ended up where. Cody Ford, their second round pick last year, they had, they, they, he, he was playing tackle. They wanted him still on the field. So they replaced Quentin Spain with him and Quentin Spain kind of did a little bit of what Carlos Dunlap did. He, he rejected, he, he, he was not happy with the demotion at all. Let it be known. Um, claimed he had a foot injury a couple hours before a game. They had to scratch him and it, it looked like it, at first it sounded like, well, this is the same thing they just got rid of. What are they? What are they doing, bringing this guy in? But but Matt was adamant that that's not the case. That this was he was he. Well, yes, he was frustrated, but he didn't you know go speak publicly about it. He kept it within the team, and he is he's a, a super intelligent player. He was well liked by all of his teammates. Um, he he just. He said it sounds like he's a malcontent, but that's really not what happened here. And and he was he said, you know, this guy, he should be a starting offensive lineman in the league somewhere. He he said he should be starting right here. Um, but that that I think Bengal fans should be excited about that that they are getting a quality guy. Finney on the other I mean, Finney can play and Kaboli talked about how he thought he couldn't remember the exact number. I went and looked it up. Finney was eleven and two in games he started for the Steelers, and it was always like one here, two here, three. It was whenever somebody got hurt on either guard spot or center, they would put Finney in. But he always played well. Whether he is good enough to to be a starting offensive lineman, I guess the Bengals will find that out. But you, a guy that could play all three positions and not have much of a drop off at all you you need that kind of depth, and it's it's not it's not an expensive. Get, um, in especially when you look at the trade off with Dunlap's contract and Finney's contract. So, I, I think both of these are, are are good moves for the team. I don't necessarily think you're going to see either guy starting at the rest of the season. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But it, it was it was good to hear from those guys and get that insight on on what both of those players bring.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you get a couple of factors in there. You have how quickly can they learn what to do um, and get some chemistry in there. And then the return of Xavier Suofilo and when will he be back, which what, what happens first um, you know, there is a couple, there's a couple, one thing I want to start with and there's a couple other elements to these two guys coming in. That's interesting. The one is just noticing the profile of, of both of these two guys. Now, granted, I think the most important profile of these two guys concerning the Bengals' situation is uh breathing interior offensive lineman. Walkings. Uh, <laughs> walking. Walking, <laughs> uh, as far as we know. So that's important. So to, to maybe make broad brush analysis of what the Bengals are looking for now off of this is... I'll put this as my Surgeon General's warning on that. Um, however, that said... They did choose. They did go obviously go aggressively after. I mean, there, there was no way the Bengals were the only team looking for Quentin Spain. They weren't. Um, and they could have picked whatever they were looking for off of Seattle's roster to try to make a fit there. The profile of these two interior offensive linemen is pass protector. Better in pass protection than run blocking. Um, particularly good as a pass protector. And I think that should be. Uh, sweet, sweet music to the ears of Joe Burrow and Bengals fans, and also a nod to, look, this is who we are. This is who we're going to be. We should not be running from that Joe Burrow is really good and just giving him clean pockets, we can rip people up, is I think what the team is saying with this in a little bit. And kind of the way they should look at it is, you know, a couple of guys, if you're going to be, dropping back and throwing it 45 to 50 times a game as they have and using the pass game as the run game in a lot of respects, pass protecting interior linemen that won't let Fletcher Cox disembowel Joe Burrow again is massive. That won't let Cam Hayward or any of these guys do what they're going to do and what they typically do. I mean, they Alex Redman is not that. Alex Redmond is not a lot of things, but Alex Redmond is a hey. Uh, I'm so, I'm angry and I finish and I'm gonna get beat sometimes in pass pro. Right, this is the opposite of that. Um, and I think there is some value, and it's an interesting thing to watch in acquiring some guys that their specialty is pass pro um, and could be very good sign for the future. Uh, of Joe Burrow's eh, ribs. <laughs> other other varied body parts. Uh, the other side of this is uh, with B.J. Finney. Isn't he just a more expensive Billy Price? Isn't he the I, same th- thing as Billy Price? Well,
1: I mean, technically, no. Finney came into the league as an undrafted guy and has worked his way into a pretty solid career. But, I mean... But we've seen Billy Price come on in relief, and in some games he plays well; other games he struggles. Finney, when he's been called on, has played well pretty much every single game.
0: Yeah, you know, and I, I, I have said this since I was talking about how they have value in trading Billy Price around the draft, and I, you know, and Dallas was interested, but I, you know, the thing is, Billy Price, I think, is a starting center in this league. He is not a guard. He's not. It's okay. Like they've tried to do that. I don't think they, they didn't evaluate him as being able to be a guard coming out. They didn't think he would be. They've had to because of situation. It has not really gone particularly well when he's played there. I do think he is a starting center in this league. And I think he kind of proved that a little bit when he came in and we'll see how it looks this weekend. Um, assuming he's Trey Hopkins isn't able to come back from his concussion on Sunday. Um we'll see how it looks on Sunday against the Titans. But, you know, if BJ Finney can do both, now you have a better version and Finney at, you know, if you need him for next year at the four point, whatever we said, four point four, uh, then you have that and you you can try to trade Billy Price to somebody that needs a center. And maybe they still try to do that at the deadline. Maybe they feel like, okay, well, we can just basically trade out Billy Price for BJ Finney now, and maybe get another pick for him. I don't know, uh, because because I do feel that. I I I just think, you know, Finney gives you a little more flexibility, whereas Price has kind of proven that he doesn't.
1: Yeah, he. I mean, he. I mentioned where he, some games he plays well, some he doesn't. It, usually, when he doesn't, it's at guard. Like earlier this year, when he got pressed into he to service um, with the Suofilo injury, and he was—I mean, he was a consensus first-round pick. It wasn't like the Bengals just took some flyer on
0: on the guy. Um, consensus top two rounds. I think there were a lot of people that thought he would go in the second round, but okay. still, but still, still, that's still, a two, first two rounds. We're, that's that's good enough.
1: And he just. You know, he had a couple of injuries early. Trey Hopkins played out of his mind, got the big deal. Um th- th- this is this is a huge game for, for Billy Price, whether he gets traded at the deadline or not. I mean, he's he's coming up on the end of his contract. I, I do I think he has trade value and I think he has he has a career even if he's not traded, I think he has a career elsewhere once once his contract's done here uh with the Bengals because he can play center. He just He just got behind the eight ball with the injuries, started at the combine, uh, happened again in training camp, and Trey Hopkins raced past him. But that that doesn't mean that that he's not a quality center.
0: That is correct. Uh, Zach, so that's kind of where they're at uh, with this, uh, you know, that the trades and the offensive line and, you know, any scenario that takes – an off the field distraction away that wasn't really giving anything anyway adds some in, some offensive line depth is a good scenario for the Bengals right now and so you know I think for them this is as much of a win as it could be it got to a situation that was tough to win they they took whatever they cut their losses and took took whatever they could they could get out of it um, I do want to remind I do want to tell people that hey head on over there we have lots of stuff on the site about this. Um, myself and Michael Sean uh, Duger from uh, Seattle have reactions on both sides of the Dunlap deal. That's up. Um, Jay, you have a story up on Spain and Finney, uh, including the content from more on, from Matt Fairburn and Marco Uh Shale Capeta has our, has trade grades uh, on for both teams on this. Lots of good stuff on there. And while I am, and there'll be more coming, but, While I am at it, I have to mention this as we transition into talk about the Titans game. That is, there is an incredible story. Jay, we've been talking about how we've been waiting to see this story since Mike Sando told us he was going to write it. And that is, he wrote a story about one of the greatest games of all time and that Bengals fans will absolutely love, and that was the feud between Sam Weish and Jerry Glanville and it coming to a head in 1989 when the Bengals won 61 to seven, and we're kicking onside kicks up 45 nothing, and kicked a field goal with no time left to make it 61 to seven, and all, and then blasted Glanville after the game. I mean, one of the most epic things you will ever see in this league, and it happened right here. And Sando, in all his glory, tracked down so many key pieces from this day. To it is awesome. It is, it is a fantastic read. Uh, it's up now on the site. Um, you can go check it out uh, on the seat on the Bengals page anywhere else. And it feels like a great time to remind you this is the last couple of days. You have to get in before Monday. If you go to theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling, our $1 per month deal is about to end. $1 per per month. Right now you've only got through this weekend to get in. It's ending. We did this for our reaching our million subscribers uh, and uh, it's about to wrap up. So, Theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling. Go in, click on the link to subscribe there um, and you will get $1 per month and get access to all of this. The Glanville story, the trade reaction stuff, uh, Premier League coverage. Everton down a little bit after losing last week. That's okay. Still top of the table. You can read all about Everton, a killing in the Premier League, uh, NBA bubble stuff. You name, I mean, you name it. We have every – you get it all for just $1 per month this weekend. So go and go to that link now, theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling. Um, but really excited about the the Sandoz story. It's awesome.
2: It is great. All right, Jay, let's just take a quick break here.
0: Let's talk Titans. Um. As we put the drama of this week behind us, um, Derek Henry, I mean, it, it, you start with Derek Henry, but I think you'd be remiss not starting with Derek Henry slash Ryan Tannehill. And it's kind of interesting because uh Zach Taylor pointed out and, you know, his connection, his whole career was based on working with Ryan Tannehill for a while four years at Texas A&M, four years uh, in Miami with the Dolphins. And Ryan Tannehill was his guy. Uh, And so I don't think anybody – he was obviously not surprised to see what has happened. But you have seen this renaissance of Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee, and he has benefited from Derrick Henry. But he has been the most efficient quarterback in football over the last year and a half since he took over there, 8.9 yards per attempt. And that's the key. They run it but when they throw it they get you. They do it effectively, they don't it's not wasteful and uh it, that's why they are 12 and 4 with him as a starter in the regular season and went to the AFC title game last year.
1: It's I don't want to say mere image because they were in the AFC title game last year and the Bengals were nowhere close, but it's it's kind of the same thing as we're seeing right now where the, the offense could just moves the ball at will and has all this success. And the defense, that's what's surprising. With Vrabel as the head coach, their their defense, I mean, this could really be a shootout on Sunday because they're, the, the Titans are just terrible on third down. They, You'll, you'll hear Joe Rexro talk about this. Joe's got stats. When, when, <laughs> when we bring in my interview with him, it, it's amazing how bad they are on third down and They've they, they they get zero pressure, like the Bengals. They only have seven sacks all year. Um they, they've got serious issues on that defensive side of the ball. Now they're they take it away better than anybody, but that's almost kind of fool's gold. You can't count on that happening game in and game out. Um a lot of that's just opportunity that that comes here and there. It's it's not something you can bank on every single game. So yeah, that's it's gonna be Ryan Tannehill versus Joe Burrow and uh Joe Burrow doesn't have a Derrick Henry, so you have to kind of give the nod to the, the Titans there. But I, I I think this is going to be a fun, kind of similar game to what we saw Sunday against the Browns, where both teams end up in the 30s, and it's a, a bit of a shootout, a back and forth.
0: <laughs> Lillian Rumo can't like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, then do something about it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. At some point. The defense has to go out and make a couple of stops for you to win a game if your offense is moving it. 61% the Titans are allowing on third down. That is wild. It is wild. Um, it's They have given up. They've allowed at least 27 points in four of their six games, for of the last five. And these aren't all offensive juggernauts we're talking about here. Uh, the Texans are pretty good. Minnesota. Denver. Jacksonville posted a 30. I mean, teams that aren't very good in these close game shootouts. Here's the thing. And this maybe is the easiest profile for what this game will look like. Close game shootout that the Titans find a way to win at the end. You know what the Bengals are in? <laughs> close game shootouts that they find a way to lose at the end. <laughs> Perhaps we're going to see a close game shootout that the Titans find a way to beat the Bengals at the end. <laughs> If you're looking for a pretty easy profile to fit on a game, these two teams have played very similar types of games, uh, in recent weeks, um, so maybe we kind of know what this will look like.
1: Yeah, weird thing with the the Titans with the the buy that got thrown in there uh, because of the COVID situation and just the way the schedule was lined up in the first place. It's been over a month since they've gone on the road. Four of their six games so far have been at home, and. Both of their road games this year, uh, Minnesota and Denver, teams that aren't very good, they they squeaked out wins in, in that. So that. Yes, they went on the road and had that incredible run last year through the playoffs, but this year they have not been a good road team and they have not been on the road in a while. Maybe that is something that can kind of work in the Bengals' favor where the Bengals are home two weeks in a row for the first time all year.
0: Lou Arumo talked to us earlier this week about how they have done better stopping the run this year. Well, in recent, in the last three weeks or so. And that started with the Baltimore thing. And, you know, he pointed out, you know, held Lamar Jackson and that Baltimore rushing attack to one of their worst days they've had. Uh, He pointed out that, look, the Browns, number one rushing attack in football, and they did slow down the run game. Of course, they couldn't stop anything in the pass. Um the Browns didn't really need it, but they did stop the run game and force them to beat them another way. Uh The Colts, they didn't allow them to run on them. Phillip Rivers did torch them in the pass game. at that, this that point. But when you talk about, okay, slowing down the Titans, everybody starts with slowing down Derrick Henry, rightfully so. Uh, He's averaging 4.6 yards per carry. He's their horse. He's throws Josh Norman eight yards like he's a maniac and he's kind of what makes them go. Ryan Tannehill can go win them a game, but if there's one thing you're hanging your hat on the last three weeks on a Bengals defense that has had no hat or hat rack is that, Hey, we've stopped the run. So try to keep doing that and hope that you can get a few plays from your secondary that, Looks like we'll get William Jackson back. And maybe that's enough against a a bad Titans defense. Yeah, I
1: I just – I don't know. They've played better against the run, but uh, how much of that – the last two weeks they've held opponents under four yards per carry, which is kind of the the gold standard, what you want to do. But, man, Derrick Henry – It's just he leads the league in yards after contact and the Bengals are better against the run, but they're, they're still missing tackles. Um, It's, it's going to be a huge chore to, to slow that guy down. And I, I just, I don't see it happening. Derrick Henry last week, I was looking at his yards after contact because of that, the Josh Norman stiff arm and what we've seen him do to everybody. And he leads the league in yards after contact Uh, last week. He has 399. That's 91 more than any other player in the league. 160 of them came last week. And if you remember who they played last week, they played one of the best defenses in football in the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, despite giving up 160 yards after contact to Derrick Henry, still lead the NFL in fewest yards allowed after contact. I mean, if Derrick Henry can do that to the Steelers, uh <laughs> it could, it could be a it could be carnage on that Bengals defensive side on Sunday. Oh yeah, are you familiar with Carnage on the Bengals
0: defense? (laughs) Have we seen this?
1: It's not Uh, so much Carnage; it's people. It's just like playground time where they're just running free and no. It's like they're playing flag football instead of tackle football. This is, I think, this is going to look a little different.
0: Well, Bengals defense with their backs against the wall certainly this week. And um, all right, Jay. Before we go any further, though, I do want to make sure we get in Joe Rexrode, our guy who you spoke with from Tennessee has all the insight on the Titans from inside their building, everything going on there. So here is Jay's conversation with our athletic Nashville writer, Joe Rexrode. Uh, if you
1: guys want to follow Joe this week and get some insight on the Titans leading up to Sunday's game, you can f- follow him on Twitter at Joe Rexrode. That's J-O-E-R-E-X-O-D-E. Uh, Joe, how you doing today?
2: I'm good. Uh, you know, looking forward to uh – this matchup with the Titans and obviously a lot of uh a lot of hand wringing in Nashville right now about the Titans after they finally lost a game thanks to a defense that's been uh pretty disappointing throughout the year.
1: Yeah, that was gonna be my first question. What's the <laughs> mood down there? I mean, I'm sure everybody was excited about five and zero, but then you have the the big showdown against the Steelers, and even though it looked the final score looked close or was close, it looked like that they came out a little flat in that one.
2: Yeah, you know, it's uh I mean, it's 27-7, so 40 minutes of total domination from the Steelers. And then, you know, to the Titans' credit, they get a, a 73-yard A.J. Brown touchdown. They get a Derrick Henry-dominated drive, and all of a sudden it's 27-24. And they're in position maybe even to steal the game at the end. Ryan Tannehill throws a Corey Davis. He's, a, you know, about six inches too high, or they might steal it, but then Steven Goskowski misses a 45-yarder to send it to overtime. So, I mean, they played – It was an inspired comeback, but some of the flaws that have been seen with this team all year, you know, it's much easier, obviously, to gloss over those things when you keep finding ways to win. So now there's definitely some, you know, some uh, concern, to put it lightly, over this defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, only seven sacks for that defense um, all year. Do you, you think maybe they're in the market for an aging, sulking defensive end who wears number 96 for the Bengals? (laughs)
2: <laughs> there's one possibility that, that certainly that has been thrown around this week Mr. Dunlap and you know I, I thought you're gonna say are they gonna try to trade for Everson Griffin from the Lions after they just got him from the Cowboys but, you know pickings are slim out there I mean yeah that's the thing is like when the Titans you know they, they invested about 22 million in two guys to do that and Vic Beasley from the Falcons and of course Jadavion Clowney and no, no sacks between them and not just no sacks but well, especially with Beasley but too much with Clowney as well just not much impact not much affecting of the quarterback
1: yeah you're, you're good at this you were you, you just got to my next question too because I, <laughs> I I noticed you know Clowney has no sacks nine games it's the it ties the longest drought of his career with the the first nine games of his career uh, but you know Obviously, sacks aren't everything. I was wondering if you know teams have to still account for his presence. If is is he not just not having any impact whatsoever?
2: It, it's been too limited. Uh, you know, yeah. he uh, and that's what I thought. Look, he he had three sacks last year at Kansas City. He's never had more than nine and a half. So it's not like they thought they were bringing Khalil Mack in here. But the idea was, look, he his uh, all the advanced stats on him as a run stopper. Are really strong, and he's a guy who sets the edge. Who, like you said, he commands attention from blockers. He's a disruptor, and at times he can wreck a game. Anybody who saw the Seahawks against San Francisco last year, I mean, he just completely dominated that game. So that very little of all that has been seen here and there. He'll make a play. He blew up a, a little pop pass to Chase Claypool last week and looked like, you know, monstrous doing it. He's had a few good moments. A game at Minnesota that they won. Late in the game, he had a couple big time rushes put on in that game, you know. But yeah, it's it's certainly not like a guy who had to settle for 13 mil, you know, <laughs> who yeah. wanted 20. I mean, it's it's just not at all that. And again, Vic Beasley, nine and a half million. I mean, he's barely playing, and when he does, you don't notice him.
1: You know, you wrote about this, that the lack of sacks kind of ties in with what you call the oozing nose pimple that is their third down defense um it, it the, the third down defense has been so bad but they've they've offset that by leading the league in turnovers and or turnover margin their second total turnovers does it does it feel more likely that they get better on third downs or that that maybe those is it more likely that those turnovers dry up a little bit?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, look, they, I mean, it's it's hard for me to believe they would stay where they are. I mean, 61% is incredible. I mean, even at this point in the season, no one's been there. Uh, the all-time record, and this is a stat, I didn't know this until this week, but this is a stat that's been, you know, kept as an official stat since 91. You know, the worst in NFL history was 49%. Um, and I believe it was actually the 1995 Browns. Uh, who were there. So you're talking 61%. I mean, that's just an astoundingly bad number. Um, the Steelers went 13 for 18, the bills went 13 for 70, by the way. And again, the Titans win by, by 26 of all weirdness this year. Now there's one of those games where timely turnovers really flip that game around and they almost got helped them steal the game from the Steelers. You know, some of them are just like tip passes at the line, uh, The last pick on Roethlisberger was a really good drop by linebacker Jayon Brown and a tip, you know, to the defensive back in the end zone. But I I don't know that you feel great about the turnovers continuing as a consistent thing with a team that gets so little pass rush, you know. Um, They do have – Jeffrey Simmons is a terrific player, uh, a rising star in this league, and he is a disruptor inside, gets his hands up. One of their picks was him at the line against Pittsburgh, tipping up to a linebacker. And Clowney can do that too, but to me, that's that's more the aberration, uh, given what they are struggling to do to to rush and cover on third down.
1: Well, any defense that's looking to get right playing the Bengals is is the way to go about it. I, I mean, their <laughs> their offensive line's been bad all year, and now it looks like they're only going to have one starter from opening day after they lost three guys last week and that that loss to the Browns. It's just it's it's a position where they couldn't afford to have injuries, and and now they're having them. Um, flipping over to the the offensive side for the Titans, I, I I guess a lot of the questions from the outside is, you know, Ryan Tannehill. A lot of people maybe thought last year was a one year fluke the way he kind of took off once he took over there, but he's he's clearly answered that that that's not the case. He's playing well again this year. Um, you, you think it's just a a matter of maturation and growth or you have the Titans coaches kind of unlock something special with him that the guys in Miami, including Bengals coach, Zach Taylor, weren't able to find.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, uh, reporting and writing about it. One thing that I found uh, for sure is I, I, I think I'm not alone here, a little bit misun, misunderstood or underestimated his time in Miami. You look back at his numbers. I mean, he had Multiple four thousand yard seasons. He was actually having a terrific season in sixteen under Adam Gase, uh, and then he blows out the knee. They still go to the playoffs, uh, but he was really playing at a high level. Now, high level like this, no, uh, you know, nine point six in attempt, seventy percent completion. He did last year. You know, it's it's that's him, and that's Joe Montana in eighty nine uh, who have done that. So certainly not, certainly a couple pegs below, but he was definitely better than I thought when I looked back and even talking to people from them, like, you know, you got to remember too, how much of a run de- game did he ever have there? You know, again, you can talk about coaching and scheme. I think he fits in very well with Arthur Smith in this offense. And certainly he benefits from having Derek Henry behind him. But I think that that's a mutually beneficial relationship. And Henry's numbers went way up last year as well. When Tannehill took over from Mariota, basically for me, Jay, I mean, watching week after week. I mean, I'm, I'm sold. I mean, the guy is a really, really good quarterback. Um, He's accurate. He's decisive. He's more athletic than I realized. He will get outside the pocket and, and, you know, keep plays alive and he'll get some big runs here and there. Um, And he just, uh, he's, he's really been excellent. And even last week, you know, the big difference for this offense is of course, losing Taylor Lewan. the, star left tackle, LeJuan tore his ACL, so he's done. So so they're really kind of in a bind there. I mean, you know, they, they give this guy 80 million over five years and he's, and he's worth that. And that's been part of this team's success. And this is my question moving forward with this offense. Part of it has definitely been, you know, uh, time to throw, lack of pressure and Tannehill's, you know, Tannehill's clear conviction that he's not going to be pressured i mean he has stood in on a lot of big plays this season probably longer than a quarterback's clock should allow you to stand in but but he's been able to do it and let some routes develop and and uh you know pick some defenses apart that's not going to be the same now Tyson Brylow, guy who was cut by the falcons has come in he's done a nice job given the circumstances, but, you know, is he going to be able to hold up all year? Of course, they drafted Isaiah Wilson in the first round out of Georgia to be the the right tack of the future, and he hasn't even come close to playing. So that's definitely an area. Now, of course, the opposition has to get pass Rush going to challenge it, but that's the one area where this offense, you know, I think is a lot more vulnerable than it was just a couple weeks ago.
1: And again, another area where the Bengals struggle is pass rush. So that that bodes well for Ty to kind of ease his way in there. Um, the last one I have for you, uh, just the, the Titans haven't played a road game in over a month. Um, only two all year, uh, and they were both really close games against teams that aren't so good. Uh, and now you've got, after the Bengals, the Titans have five games against teams that are four and two or better, including two and three weeks against the Colts the only other relevant team in that division is there is there any chance of this playing out like a trap game do you think or is Mike Vrabel you know the kind of coach a, a Belichick disciple that's that's not going to let them look past a team like the Bengals
2: well Vrabel is definitely a guy who finds every little thing that might have offended his team and and make it as big as possible and usually he's got a lot of fodder um, and of course you know they came up the Bills They the Titans had the COVID outbreak and the whole league wants them to be like relegated to the CFL or, you know, whatever. They they certainly uh, responded emotionally that game. You know, they actually didn't respond well early against the Steelers, but I I think Jay, I think a couple things diminish that a bit. One is that they know how good Burrow is and there's, there's look, there's all the talk this week here. Like what is Burrow going to throw for 350, 400 on this defense. So they know that they know their struggles on defense. And I think there's, and the fact that they're coming off a loss, you know, I think that in terms of emotion, that helps you. But but you're right. I mean, this is definitely sandwiched after some really tough games, before some huge games. So if there is going to be something like that, you would think it would be this week.
1: All right. Well, we shall see on Sunday. Are you gonna make the trip up?
2: Um, I am still waiting to find out. So hopefully. Okay.
1: All right. Well, hey, I really appreciate you, you joining us here and um, look forward to seeing how this thing plays out on
0: Sunday.
2: Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me, Jay. Really appreciate it.
0: All right, much thanks to Joe for joining us. And now let's talk growler bet time. Nobody picked zero last week. I laid it out. I even I gave you a softball when I didn't mean to. I hung, I hung the curve right into the, into the middle middle zone and you guys whiffed it. The cement mixer. You guys whiffed. You had a chance. No winner last week. Um, shout out to our two winners that we had the previous weeks. So we're still arranging uh, the delicious 50 West and uh, optimistic Bobby conversation with them. Uh, so this week, though, remember, you send your one submission either to me via email. P Daner at P D E H N E R at the athletic.com. Make sure you put Growler in the subject head. I get too many emails. I don't like how many emails I get. And so I just search Growler and I go through those. So if you don't put Growler in the subject head, out of luck. If you can't follow directions, you don't get the beers. Uh, or on Twitter, hashtag BengalsGrowlerBet. Again, we have a column on our Twitter feed for hashtag Bangles Growler Bet. If you do Growler Bet or Paul is makes bald handsome Growler Bet or whatever or mullet bring the mullet back Growler Bet, not will not work. We will not see your submission. Hashtag Bangles Growler Bet on Twitter. One submission. If you win, you will, we will purchase you a growler of delicious 50 West beer. By the way, update from 50 West christmas cookie in cans people have you had christmas cookie jay
1: i have not but it sounds
0: delicious oh christmas i mean i know they just they crank out the seasonal hits down there i mean i just got done telling you about home sweet home Mm -hmm. christmas cookie is christmas cookie and you know you go christmas sale from great lakes those two are are they're they're on their own pedestals up at the top of the christmas beer list uh so you can you can find those in stores Bengals growler bet. Let's get to it. Uh, Here's what it is this week. Derrick Henry, yards per carry, times Bengals missed tackles. And we will go with the PFF stat, which usually comes out Monday morning, late Monday morning. Derrick Henry, yards per carry, times Bengals missed tackles. Do you have any background on that, Jay, just to help?
1: Uh, Are Yes, I do. First, though, we just going to go one decimal point, single decimal. Point. Yeah, would, I, we would could go re- to that would be I'm hard. I'm not
0: going to go to one decimal point is fine.
1: All right, so these are the sport radar numbers, not the pro, not the pro football focus numbers. But the, the Bengals are currently tied for 11th in the league in most ta- or most missed tackles with 51, which comes out to about seven per game. Um, Derrick Henry, as I mentioned, has more yards after contact than anybody. You get yards after contact by breaking tackles, obviously. So th- that should be your baseline right there. You already mentioned he averages four point six per carry. I, I think he's going to go more than that. I think that missed tackles are going to be more than that. I'm going gonna- go to I'm going to go the missed tackles are probably going to be in the eleven twelve range, and he's going to average six yards per carry. So I- I'll go sixty eight point six.
0: Wow. All right. I'm gonna go decent day for the Bengals run defense. The theme continues, and I'll go with the four I'll go with four point five and the and the average of seven. Thirty-one point five for me. Whoa, big so, difference. Big difference. I'm gonna give them credit. I think I think Tannehill lights them up, but uh I'm gonna say that they find a way to kind of kind of contain Derrick Henry a little bit. Um all right, again, hashtag Bengals Growler Bet or P at theathletic.com. Send in your one only one per person submission, uh, and you can win some fifty West beer via be us and Optimistic Bobby. Uh, we have a run passer boot as well, which is fun to do. Run passer boot for Sunday's game. Jay, what you got?
1: Yeah, kind of. It goes in line with everything we just talked about recently. that run passer boot. What what number will be the greatest on Sunday? Derrick Henry's longest rush, Ryan Tannehill's longest pass, or Kevin Huber's longest punt?
0: (laughs) 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 I love it. Uh, I mean, Derrick Henry has, by the way, a tendency to bust long runs. Uh, So this is much harder than you would think. The Bengals also have a tendency to allow long passes. I believe they have allowed the most explosive passes the last two weeks than anybody in football, but that should be no surprise that anybody has watched those two games. That said, I am running with Huber's longest punt because Huber, Huber can boom it. And even if, even if you get long passes and runs from Henry, there's no saying it's going to be over 50. They can run for touchdown for 48 yards. Uh, so... I'm going to go. I'm running with Huber, and just because of the way the game works and what I said earlier, I am going to pass on Tannehill, and I'm going to boot Henry. I'm going
1: to go a little off the board here. I'm going to boot Huber just because, what? because the, the Tennessee defense, what they're bad at and what they're good at. You're saying there's going to be no punts again? There could be. They're, that that wow. could be the case because they are they are so bad on third down. You can see the Bengals having a number of scoring drives. I already said I think it's going to be a, a shootout. So I, I do think you know five, five times they figure out ways to get points. The other thing is the Titans turn teams over so much and Joe Burrow has turned it over three games in a row. If you turn it over, you don't punt. So I, I could see maybe not zero, but I could see Huber getting very limited chances to punt on Sunday. Um, so I'm I'm going to run with the Henry run. I just – you, you get in those short yardage situations and everybody's up at the line of scrimmage and he plows over one guy and then there's nobody back behind and he he can break it. Um, and we've seen him have these massive 70, 80-yard runs the last few years. So I'm, I'll run with the Henry run. I'll pass on the Tannehill pass and I'll boot the Huber boot.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> well done uh that's interesting I, I i honestly probably should have thought more that was good logic i should have thought more about the fact that we might have a limited number of huber punts even then even if there is even if he punts once they got to throw a run for over 40 probably yeah so, so think. could we see a second straight week where huber's just nothing but a holder we got to get Hughes on the Zoom. He's got to take a pay Hubes cut. All year. We haven't talked to Hughes all year. He's a captain.
1: And he's uh, been good. I mean, he is really, he's having the best year of his career. And as long as he's been here and some of the years he's had, that's, that is saying something.
0: Hughes request incoming. <laughs> uh, I know, I know my boy Shram, he listens. So just that count that, Shram. Bengals PR, Pete Shram. Shout out. Uh, that, that counts as my submission. Uh, all right, prediction time. What do you got, Jay?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Titans 35, Bengals 31. Another cover, uh, another shootout. I don't know if it'll be another way to lose, but it will be a loss. <laughs> it's
0: always another way to lose. <laughs> oh man, uh, I'm with you. I you know I, I talked earlier multiple times about the profile of this game just seems almost too perfect for who these two teams have been all year. You know what happens in in bad seasons, Jay? Like weird number things and like yeah. weird repetitiveness. 2 weeks in a row Bengals lose 37-34. Whoa.
1: We just saw that last year, wasn't it when they won their no, 2 years ago when they won their first two games by the exact same score? I don't I think that's the yeah, only time in history tw-
0: that was 34-23 each of the first two weeks um in 2018. But, you know, you just get into just weird, kind of weird ways of like, man, cannot believe. That's why I'm saying same score L 37, 34 Titans win. But Joe Burrow continues to play well. And we're all requesting Luana Rumo again on Monday. So are you going to go as
1: far as saying Tannehill to A.J. Brown with 11 seconds left?
0: Oh, I'm not going to go that far. (laughs) I'm (laughs) not. I don't know that I'm going to go that far. I, I'm with you. I think the same score, but invent new way to lose. Okay, Invent new way to lose, for sure. Uh, we'll see what the heartbreak is this week. The Cincinnati and ones, I'm, for sure, I'm guessing it'll continue. We'll see if we can find a Cincinnati and one for you. Oh, I'll uh, so find one, keep- no matter how far.
1: <laughs> I, how long I have to look, I'll find one.
0: Cincinnati and ones are always at place. All right. Well, that wraps us up. I want to thank everybody uh, for listening to our podcast this week, a busy week around here. Uh, Reminder of our schedule going forward. We will have the walkout for you after the game against Tennessee on Sunday, of course, but then we will have the bye week podcast Wednesday next week, not Tuesday, Wednesday, because we're going to wait for the trade deadline to pass, and we'll come to you Wednesday morning. Uh, with a recap of that and a look ahead and then no growler with no game next week. So on Monday the 9th, we will be back. Monday we'll be back a little early and we will have the Burrow sowed where we go all in deep dives onto all things Joe Burrow in the first half, evaluating his first half, looking at his second half, this, that, and the other. All things Burrow in the Burrow sowed on Monday, November 9th. That is coming your way. So... Hope you will keep it locked here. And again, one last reminder, $1 per month offer running out. You got to get in this weekend or it's over. We're not doing it anymore. Highly recommend. It's the best offer we've ever done and probably will ever do. Um, You got to get in now, theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling. Click on any link in there, subscribe, and you will get everything under the sun. Podcasts, all the stories, everything that we do for every sport, 400-plus insiders across this country and the UK expanding. So we, we're everywhere for you. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you on Sunday night after Bengals Titans. going, everybody?